Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests... On the Gup, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with Dr. Paul... Paul Choa? No. You got it. Good. Um, practiced that before, but I almost screwed it up. And he's a physical therapist. He's TPI certified. He's got a bunch of other certifications to, to make people feel better. But um, big thing is he, he is the owner of Par 5 Physical Therapy, where he helps golfers. And he also is an instructor for Elite Healthcare, where he teaches other physical therapists about mobilizations and, and whatnot and assessing and treating. And so great resource for us here and super excited to have you on dr paul awesome i am excited to be here jeremy can't wait to talk about golf and how we can make golfers better yeah no that's exactly why why we're both here and uh why we do what we do i think so let's uh start off i always ask everybody what got you into golf so what got me into golf you know when i was younger i played um i played tennis volleyball i was like very very active football and then I always thought that golf was an old man sport that I wouldn't play it when I was younger. But then when I got married, um, I'd say oh, it's like 10 years ago now, my father-in-law gave us, me and my wife, oh, an old set of clubs. I was like, this is garbage. So, but anyway, I took them out and we were living in New York at the time and, you know, we were in Manhattan. I was like, where am I going to go? So we went out to, to Chelsea Piers and, you know, I, I was swinging this club, not knowing what to do how to do it or whatever but i found that it was fun and the one thing that kind of kept me on you know kept my interest up with golf was that it really blended well with the kinematic assessment and movement and physical therapy like it's the only sport where you're going to be hitting a ball that's stationary right that there's no other opponent trying to hit you there's no contact and it's just you and the ball so you know looking at the kinematic sequence was like um like that's right up my alley. So that's why I've, I've, I've kept up with it now for since then. So I blame my father-in-law. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you've been, you've been going about 10 years, you said. Yeah. About 10 years. Very cool. Um, and now you own a business that focuses on golfers. So bit by the bug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I said, and I was working at a, uh, at a clinic under, under another uh, therapist um, and we were, it, it was a good gig. For, I was there for eight years and, um, you know, we only treated like one patient per hour and it's very focused and, you know, but I had this little itch and this little, you know, voice in the back of my head that said, you know what, you could probably, um, specialize and do things your way. And then that, that voice just got louder and louder until, you know, one day it was like, I was just kind of like, I gotta go. <laughs> 
yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds sounds about the same. I mean, my my gig's not quite my my gig was not quite as good before getting into to what I do now, but. Uh, mm -hmm. 30 minutes was, is it terrible in the industry? So yeah, no. Yeah. I was lucky that I landed that. I found that, that, that gig because like nobody was doing like one on one for an hour. It was like crazy. Yeah. They were out of network, you know, so that's, that's the reason why they did it. Right. Right. So I got you on here for, for some of the, the information kind of that processing of uh, and analyzing and uh, assessing kind of things. And so, sure curious about talking about that and how we can assess mobility and flexibility restrictions. What's the difference between those two as well? Right. So, you know, mo mobility is like an overarching term that includes, you know, flexibility, you know, tissue extensibility and joint range of motion. You know, if, if someone just talks about flexibility, it's just all kind of muscle lengthen, basically. And, you know, when I'm assessing somebody and we're using this, uh, this TPI golf movement screen, I always keep that in the back of my head that it's not necessarily pure muscle lengthening that is the problem. There's a lot of other things that govern um, the mobility that you need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people, you know, that flexibility is the ability to get into a position, but mobility is kind of be able to control that more. So. That's a good one. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. Go for it. So I'm sure I didn't come up with it. I came I got it for somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah. So then, how? What kind of steps do we take to assess the difference between you know being able to control that position or be able to get into that position? Um, you know, it's like just motor control. Like what I will typically do with my uh, evaluation process is that you know i'll go through the gross movement screen the sfma stuff where we look at somebody moving against gravity and basic movement patterns and then i'll break it down to um how they move with less resistance less gravity and active assisted maybe or passive range of motion and then um you know see if they can control like you said and um you know i think uh, what was uh, motor control, right? Being able to control those positions is also key. And I, I typically do a lot of, uh, you know, end range isometric with my, with my clients when I start to treat them just to kind of build that um, brain muscle connection and coordination in the muscles. Do the end range isometrics? Yeah, the end range isometrics. I mean, like just now I was just seeing somebody with like some shoulder overhead pain and, you know, just to fire up that, that, uh, that lower trap muscle, I got him onto the table on his stomach and then put his arm up at that 45 degree angle. And I said, let's hold this for a minute, you know, and I just, you know, tried to hold it down a bit, maybe like one to two pounds of pressure. And then I told him to focus on this lower trap and I didn't need any weight. I just said, you know what, we need to kind of build more awareness. Um, cause typically the clients that I see, they're typically strong, but it's just that their motor control and the coordination is just a little bit off. And it's very easy for larger muscle groups to overcome and overtake and be more dominant than the small stabilizing ones. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. And I like that, um, in range isometric because like you said, it brings that awareness. I mean, yes. so many times with certain things, it's, I always tell people, you know, I don't think it's a, glutes is a great example. We, we hear all that. Your glutes aren't active. Your glutes aren't, aren't working or whatever. You know, it, it, 
that's a big debate, but we won't go into that too much. But just like thinking, bringing more awareness. And I think it was at one of the TPI courses where they had you sit there and squeeze one butt cheek and then squeeze your other butt cheek. That's right. Yeah. And you can isolate back and forth. And it was amazing how many people had a hard time kind mm-hmm. of at, uh, being able to do that. And I was just like, yeah, you know, it's just not, not having, I guess, a little awareness or that motor control of isolating yeah. that movement and how big of a difference could that potentially make in somebody's ability to function, right? Yeah, it's just like a inhibited muscle group everybody's dealing with. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. So then, so I guess that kind of ties into the nervous system. You, you say you're doing, you're doing that isometric hold, or you were talking about the uh, lower trap in that instance. So. Right. How does the nervous system kind of play into into that, uh, you know, mobility or flexibility, motor control? Yes. I mean, the other thing is being able to control a position and um, the, the brain pretty much is the boss of everything. And a lot of times with these muscle groups, if they are inhibited, they're not getting enough input, motor control or motor firing. Um, and getting that activation with like tactile cues. I I use um, the rock blades a lot and some taping and cupping too. So getting the client to be more aware of positions and certain muscle groups, you know, helps them to get into those positions. And it could also play into their mobility stability pattern because you have to kind of peel back the layers like an onion when you're evaluating somebody because somebody's tightness might not just be because of their lack of flexibility. It, it might be a, uh, a stability issue where they're looking for stability, say, in their pelvis or their lower back, their hamstrings are a little bit too tight to try and control their pelvis a little bit more. But they're not tight, like short. They're just on because they're trying to hold themselves up against gravity with their hamstrings. Right. Yeah. No, I see, you see that a lot. I think, and, and I tell people the, your body's going to find a way to do whatever you ask it to do. Oh, yeah. The, the, the brain's kind of the boss and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's going to go, it's going to go down a list of, Oh, this is who should go first. If they're not responding or not doing their job, we're going to go to this guy. Then we're going to go to this guy. Then we're going to this yeah. guy. It's like a boss. You know, he's got his, he's got his phone call numbers. Like, Hey, I need somebody to be at the, this or that place. I need you guys to do this. If that person right, can do it. Right. Do the next one. And I think you see that and you see these muscles that aren't doing a job that they're not necessarily designed to do. And so then that's where I think what you were talking about with the taping and the, the cupping yeah. and, and the rock blades, um, some of that soft tissue work can, can change the perception of that muscle and perception of what's what needs to be working and what and whatnot. Yeah. And the biggest thing is that people are walking around unaware of these compensations. You know, their body's so good at compensating and just getting through whatever movement point A to point B that they just do years with with not not being aware at all yeah yeah and along these lines we're talking about the nervous system so about you know maybe nerve sensitivity like where where does that fall in the line of you know maybe mobility flexibility motor control type of sensitivity in what way so i'm thinking like uh well, you may hear like neurodynamics or neural tension, that type oh, of right, right. How, that, how that may may play into effect. So, for example, let me just briefly. So, for me, mm-hmm. uh, doing 
deadlifts, double leg deadlifts, I don't really feel much um, issues. I go into a single leg RDL uh, on my yeah. right side. I feel a lot more tension on that side, even though I don't think there's a flexibility difference per right. se. But there's there's definitely something that's kind of different, like the neural tension. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, like I I see that a lot. I mean, even just getting somebody in a in a supine active hamstring stretch, you have them do like a little ankle pump at the top, and there's like ah, it's going up my leg. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I I I do see that a lot. And then you know, if if there's any issues, say pain or just um, I guess pain or a level of threat that your brain is perceiving with those types of motions, it'll like it'll shut off your glutes, it'll inhibit any muscle or um, fire up another muscle to try and stabilize, and it just kind of throws off the whole pattern. Yeah, so I think neural dynamics and neural mobility is is important as well. Yeah. So I guess that brings to the question of you know what do you do for somebody that may be experiencing something like that? Yeah. So if somebody's like feeling, you know, if we're doing like an active straight leg raise, they're lying on their back and then just take the leg totally straight and they raise it up over their head or, or up to the ceiling and they're feeling limitations there, tightness, then I typically start with something easy. Like let's just do some rolling and see what happens. Um, you know, there's a lot of philosophies on whether or not rolling does what it's purported to do. But if you look at how rolling is just a novel, compressive, tactile stimulus to the skin and how it moves along the muscle and the fascia and maybe inhibits the muscle, then that may be contributing to the improvement in their flexibility and less of that neural tension. Uh, I, I use a lot of the soft tissue work. I even teach my patients on how to do some type of rolling and stick and mobilization with a lacrosse ball, like pin and stretch, like ART type techniques so that they can do their own thing. I think, you know, the biggest philosophy that I try and teach my clients is that, you know, what I do or where we are in the clinic, it's not magic. I'm just a facilitator for your own body's recovery process and improvement and growth. I'm just pointing you in the right direction. And hopefully that you can start to take care of your own body, um, be your own mechanic, as it were. Uh, So I always, I, I try not to foster dependence on physical therapy i know it's a horrible business model but uh you know the ultimate goal is getting people back to doing what they want to do pain-free you know yep yep no i i had this discussion before with with other people on the podcast too is terrible business model but the, the the concept is if i can take myself out of the picture then i've done my job Yes. Right. If I can give them enough of the why you should be doing this, how you should be doing it, then they should be able to take control over that. And you know, honestly, in in my experience, you do that enough with somebody, they still want to work with you because they see your value in their life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think our expertise as as movement specialists, you know, isn't filled by anyone else in the medical field, like even orthopedic surgeons or physiatrists, you know, they have their own 
specialty of surgery or injection or medication, and we're just dealing with movement, you know, and I think uh, we need to be, as a profession, be more active in spreading the word that you are basically unaware of movement compensations, and you need to have somebody assess how you move so that you can move better, feel better, and ultimately play better. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, all right, let's see here. We got off on our questions, but let's. Um, what's kind of a connection between some mobility and and strength wise? Yeah, so mobility and strength. It's like uh, I have a saying. Like, str I, it's probably someone else has said this. I probably read this online or whatever. But you know, strength without mobility is is useless. But mobility without stability is 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 dangerous. Or is it? Um, is it flexibility? So I think it's strength, strength without flexibility is useless and flexibility without strength is dangerous. So you have to have a balance of the two. You can't be like all flop, floppy around and not have any stability uh, and you can't have too much strength and not be mobile enough. And I think when it comes to golf, there's like very specific positions that your body needs to get into. I like think the most common one that people think about is like being able to turn their torso. You know, having 40, at least 45 degrees of thoracic rotation uh, for a good golf swing. Everybody's working on that. But people neglect, like, how much rotation do you have in your hips and your pelvis and the lower body? And then people become um, upper body dominant. And that kind of relates to how muscles are inhibited, like the glutes. You know, you don't have control of your glutes and you can't rotate under load or generate force from the ground up. Then we've got issues. we got, got swing faults. Right. Yeah. No, um, I agree. So I remember in PT school, one of the things that during our uh, brief talk of strength training specifically, yeah. we were given a task of proving why um, each uh, we're broken up into groups. And so each group had a had an area, flexibility, uh, stability. I can't remember some of the other ones, but it's strength. So we had strength and, and mobility. And they're like, why is this so important? And <clears throat> So we had we had stability, and we put some we put one of the biggest guys in the room in high heels, <laughs> around on high heels, asking him to do stuff. Yeah, hey, this guy's really strong, but you put him on little tiny. Get it? And he can't do anything. He can't yeah. the chair or anything like that. And so I think you're right. There's got to be this balance there, and I think that's where an assessment comes in. And I think that's what TPI's done so well with. Mm -hmm. And other other people have done great in other industries and whatnot, but TPI has done a really good job of establishing, hey, this is this is how yeah. we test and how we can have a starting point to see where are you and where do we need to go from here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TPI is like part of a big spider web of like, you know, you have like FMS guys in there and and all that. It's like all conglomerated under one movement umbrella and i think it's really great and i've just been trying to follow those webs around <laughs> right well, i mean they've, they've also done a really good job with taking what they've done with with golf and starting to get into other rotational sports and yeah like the racket guys and yeah. baseball yeah yeah so i think it's the on base you and uh the racket fit i think is what yeah, the racket fit yep one is. um and and you know they're now taking what they've learned through all their research over the last well, basically 15, 20 years at this point, um, that 
they're now applying it to all rotational sports because all rotational sports have that kinematic sequence that yep. you mentioned earlier, right? They all have this so energy common. that falls from the ground up through whatever instrument you're using to hit the ball with. Doesn't matter, right? A human body is a human body. Yeah, and and think that gets right into what you were just talking about and how as physical therapists we kind of fill in this, this gap of you know purely medical and and purely strength and you know right. nice gray area in between of all right, well, yeah, you have to have a certain amount of uh, uh, expectations from a well, joint standpoint or whatever and from a muscle standpoint, and we have to kind of blend those and find that that balance of mobility and strength and, and allow that to, to then yep. the course or whatever playing field you're on. I mean, that's why I like, um, I like CrossFit so much. I mean, people down – you know, poo poo it a little bit, but I think from a, you know, fundamental movement standpoint, it gives you a larger vocabulary of weighted and cardiovascular exercise that no other, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hit programs out there that kind of mimic it, you know? Um, but I think when we look at how, somebody talks about like, let's grab a barbell and then do a, a clean and jerk or a deadlift or a squat. You know, those are things that you can't do like in a big box gym, like, um, you know, that have only machines that are moving in fixed planes. And I think that when you start to get more complex, it just builds up your resiliency, you know, in terms of um, decreasing your risk of injury. You know? Yeah, I mean, we have a, an amount of degrees of freedom that we yeah. have in each each joint, and the more joints, the more more ways you can move something. The more, uh, we'll say, skill is required in maintaining and controlling those degrees of freedom. Yeah, so I agree. Like I, I uh, right here where I live now, there's pretty much uh, Planet Fitness that's that's open, and that's about it. And they're pretty much mostly machines. Yeah, it's hard to find free weights. Yeah, uh, so I, I do find myself struggling trying to get a little bit more of the heavier weights, trying to do, do some of that stuff. But make do with doing more like single leg stuff. But anyways, but you can do like a lot with a kettlebell. Just like a one simple implement is like ugh, you could really branch out from that. Yeah, no, and that's what I tend to grab. I grab a kettlebell. Yeah. Unless I'm looking to to carry something heavy, um, but that kind of leads me into my next question for you: yeah. um, isolation movements versus your broad general movement. Right. What preferences on on those. So I, I usually, in in terms of like uh, treating somebody and and uh, assessing somebody. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, I generally look at somebody in terms of their basic movements, like the push, the pull, the plank, uh, core stability, uh, squat, hinge, you know, bend, stuff like that. And then if I can, I'll get them under some load, maybe like a little, little dumbbell or barbell. And we're just looking at the gross motions. And if there's something that I see that's not symmetrical, if we do bilateral and then onto a single leg movement, there's something that's asymmetrical that then that's when I start to dive down deeper and again, peel that onion back and like dive down deeper and then look at the uh, isolated muscle strength testing. And then I love, again, going back to those isometrics 
and holding those positions. Because I think especially if you're dealing with somebody who's injured and you're trying to say rehab a tendon or um, a joint post-surgery, like the isometric contraction probably gives you the biggest bang for your buck, mainly because it's the less noxious to the tendon and the muscle complex, the tissue, but you could still have a really great neurological motor control impact with just a very simple exercise. But then once they have that feel, then I move into the next phase and make that feel into something that's real and um, work on more complex compound functional movements. Yeah, definitely. I don't spend a lot of time with isolate, isolated uh, exercises, only if there's something glaringly wrong. But you know, I try and progress them to something that's more functional, um, that is more applicable to where their goals are. Like if they're a golfer, we wanna try and do something that involves rotation. If they're a power lifter, then we gotta get them under some weights. If they're a crossfitter, then we have to do some, you know, plyometric stuff, something under speed and something under load so that ultimately it's their goals. It's what they want to do. Yeah, and so I I like the, um, using those isometrics that you were mentioning, especially if, like when you mentioned a tendon, and because it seems to be a lot more common because you're not having as much of that, I get, we'll say pulling tendon is like a rope, aren't real familiar, and the muscle attaches to it to attach to the bone, and so it's yeah. a rope. And so the less you keep yanking on it, I think the more it 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 responds nicely to that. It's almost a calming effect to it, right? And that isometric hold, or uh, um, yeah, basically the isometric hold. And then you can go like go into real simple, like right into like a PNF pattern where we're going through the isometric and then contract and relax. And then, you know, uh, was it uh, reciprocal contractions, inhibition? It's just crazy. It's like it's it just goes and flows like a like water. <laughs> yeah. And so talking about the tendon, we had a question that just popped up here. Um, what's your favorite exercises for elbow tendinopathies? So we're talking about tendon. Jesus, yeah. So it's it, it, it all depends if it's medial or lateral, like tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. I I think like when I'm treating somebody with any type of uh, elbow tendinopathy, I'm going to address the whole muscle and the fascia around it. So it's sort of like if it's just an elbow problem, it's not just an elbow problem. I'm going to look at bicep, tricep, pec, shoulder and make sure that the whole chain is as flexible as possible, that they could get more range of motion or, or their normal range of motion. And then eventually, I think the gold standard with any rehab of a tendon is trying to load that and do a lot of eccentrics to make that tendon structure more durable. Um, when I, I just had like another a sh a guy the other day, he had a shoulder rotator cuff surgery and he was lacking external rotation. And then he, uh, a couple months ago, he developed some wrist issues like supination. He was, a, he was having a hard time turning his palm up. And then we just discovered that it's coming from his bicep because he has bicep tendinopathy and he couldn't fire the bicep very well. And then the wrist was just getting trashed. He couldn't get enough supination via the bicep tendon and his wrist started bothering him. So I think when somebody comes in with an elbow issue, 
an elbow tendinopathy, sure, I'm going to treat it very local with some type of, my favorite is like instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization and stretching, but I can't neglect going above and below that joint, you know, wrist, shoulder, trunk, you know, have to look at everything because we don't move joints isolated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, you mentioned getting into eccentric. So let's just go ahead and go with a uh, tennis elbow. All right, right. so somebody's lead, lead arm, they're having pain there on the outside of that arm. Right. Um, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> tendinopathy. And that tennis elbow. So what, what, what kind of eccentrics are we talking about for, for those guys? So if, if I had a golfer that comes in with this uh, outside of the elbow pain, we definitely check out, do they have enough, you know, wrist flexion, passive range of motion, elbow extended? We're working on that. Um, eccentric wise, we could start really simple with their wrist on a table supported and then coming up into extension and then slowly with manual resistance of their other hand, lowering it down and then graduate to say using a weight dumbbell, put it in their hand, raise it up with both hands and slowly lower with only the affected side. And then maybe even doing um, using this therabar. So it's a therabar from, um, from Theraband. It's, I think it's great in terms of de uh, treating elbow and wrist issues, uh, Therabar, you know, a little plug for them. Um, and also even something simple as getting a weight, getting a rope, and then using like a little dowel, trying to roll up that rope up and down to get those wrists and uh, elbow muscles working. I like that. Um, specifically with golfers, if it's an elbow issue, anytime that somebody comes in with me, uh, comes in to see me with some type of arm issue and they're a golfer, I'm always looking, what is their kinematic sequence like? Can they use their, the ground, their hips, their feet, their legs, or the, you know, they're just kind of early extension or early uh, casting with their club. You know, are they taking too much of a divot? Are they, you know, do they have loss of posture and then their shots are, are fat? So those are some of the things that, you know, in my thought process that I'm going to address for elbow pain. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, what about like doing, you, we were talking about isometrics earlier. Um, so what about like carries and stuff like that? Do you impl implement that into somebody that's having some of these issues? Yeah, I definitely like carries. Um, one, it's, it's not as specific to that tendon on the outside. Um, if it was for the inside, I, that definitely would add carries if it's like a flexor or medial elbow pain. Um, I like it just because, again, it's another isometric. It's very functional. You have that muscle stabilizing the elbow, um, and, it's, and it's not just an isolation move. You know, even though it is an isometric carry, you still have to move your body, trunk, core, shoulder blades. All that stuff has to work as well. Definitely love carries. Yeah, carries are great. Um, something that people don't do enough of, and it, it when this it, when it's at novel stimulus, you were talking about rolling earlier. You got a novelty of it. Yes. Done since probably you were a little kid, um, and and so you don't do a lot of it, and so you have a great response to it because it's so so new. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Well, awesome, Paul. This is a great discussion. I loved it, and hopefully everybody else has gleaned some got all good information. Before we kind of always got some wrap up questions here. Just gonna get. Sure. Or uh, what what your thoughts are and what what you know 
golf's all about stories and relationships. So a little bit of that. So what's your favorite golf course and or golf memory? Oh, you know, I think my favorite golf course is uh, out in New Jersey. They have uh, in Jersey City, there's uh, Liberty National. So there's a couple of national tournaments that have been there. And I had the oppor- I got the opportunity to play it a week before the President's Cup was there. So they had everything set up. They had the stands up and everything. It was all set up. And we were just playing on this course. And it was like crazy. One, it was the first time that I ever played golf with a caddy, you know, yeah. telling me yardages and reading the line. It was like awesome. And carrying my clubs. I'm like, no, I'm like a public course guy. Somebody carrying my clubs, I feel like bad for him, right? But it was a real, it was very memorable because I think it's the seventh hole. It's like a par three. And you're out on the water and the uh, Statue of Liberty is right there. And, you know, I, I took like maybe like a nine iron and then, you know, stuck it in with like three feet. It was like, oh, my God, like, what is that? Awesome. <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was ready to go home after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, imagine you felt like all the pros feel now. Grandstand. Oh, yeah. yeah. No crowds, though. <laughs> um, so what's what's one takeaway that you would like our listeners to apply today or this week? I would say for people listening to the show is not to uh, disregard how much you use the ground when you swing a golf club. I think a lot of people, amateur golfers, are very focused on their grip, their, their swing plane, how they come into impact. But I think everything, a lot of the problems get fixed when people understand how to use their feet, you know, being able to load on one side at the top of the backswing onto the the trail side heel, and then being able to, to drive uh, and push off that lead foot and pull with the lead uh, with the rear leg. So you create that rotation that just kind of drives the whole kinematic sequence and rotates the pelvis first, more faster, uh, it's faster than, than the trunk, and then finally the, the club. And I think people don't, don't use the ground enough. Yep, no, that's very true. Um, who else should we have on the podcast? Oh, man, it's a great question. There's like so many people in the, uh, in the space of golf fitness and physical therapy um i would one person that comes to mind is uh she's a physical therapist out in california her name is uh megan helwig she's on instagram under primal strength doc primal strength doc Uh, she is also tpi certified she uh goes she she rents space out of a CrossFit gym as well. She's a rock tape instructor. I think she's awesome. Um, she's very knowledgeable. Um, another one would be if you want to go like super down neurological proprioceptive rabbit holes, there's a guy, his name is uh, Adam Wolf. He's on Instagram too. Adam Wolf, uh, Adam Wolf. PT, I think it is. It's A D A M W O L F. So it's just like like the word Adam Wolf, and he is like, um, he is like super smart. He integrates 
the vestibular system into everything, every treatment session he does. And it is, um, it is definitely food for thought when you're treating someone who thinks who you think has only a musculoskeletal problem. Um, I think one of his big takeaways is that everyone, there's more subclinical vestibular dysfunction out there than we are aware of. So he does a little bit of this in every session. So I think those are two big ones that would be great to have on the podcast. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Paul, Dr. Paul. Um, yeah. wrap up, let us know how can we support you and everything that you're doing for golfers? Oh, yeah. Well, um, you could just find me online at uh, parfivept.com and uh, Instagram and Twitter is the same handle, parfivept. It's the number five, parfivept. Um, that's it. Yeah, you can just hang out and uh, you know chat with me online too. Awesome, awesome. So we'll have all that information in in the show notes. But that's it. For this episode of Golf Under Par podcast. Thank you so much for, to Dr. Paul for coming on here, and thank you all for listening. Remember, small and simple consistency leads to greatness. Take care. Great. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips again our facebook group is golf fitness tips we'll see you there have a good one